Welcome to the Master Photography Podcast Network. You are joined by thousands of photographers who listen to this show, and we are so glad to have you. I am your host, Brian McGuckin, and in this episode, I am joined at this roundtable by the fabulous Brent Bergherm and Jeff Harmon. How are you doing, guys? Hey, Brian. Good to be with doing, you. Doing well. Thanks. Maybe I'm doing fabulous. Fabulous. Good. There you go. Fast and, so Fast and the Furious and the Fabulous. Awesome. This is kind of a take two. And what I mean by that is Brent and I already <laughs> recorded this whole episode, and it was awesome. And we had it yesterday. I didn't think you were going to admit this. No. No, I have no problem admitting <laughs> this because it fits with the title, The Fast and the Furious. And This is true. And really, it was actually going to be kind of a part two. But uh, due to some technical errors, I'm able to just redo it all and have them together. The first part dealt with uh, discussing a little bit about the Indy 500 shoot that I had recently with Brent. And then something frustrating that made me furious happened. And uh, I was hoping that the um, amazing Jeff Harmon had an answer to that, which I don't think he really does but that's not his fault. It's my fault. <laughs> so we were going to do a part two with that. Instead, we've got both of them on together right now to kind of just help walk me through some things. Brent, yesterday we were talking a little bit uh, just about a recent shoot that I had with the Indy 500. And you were asking me a little bit about that. <laughs> yes, the Indy 500. Let's, so you are hired by someone and you get to not only shoot just like the race, like a normal fan might shoot, but you have a behind the scenes approach. Tell us about that. Basically, uh, with the Indy 500, obviously it happens every year around Memorial Weekend, and Honda uh, is kind of a big wig, and Honda brings a lot of their top sales people, basically dealers, uh, dealers to Indianapolis for this amazing four or five day experience. And what they do is they come in and like on the first few days leading up to the race, in the morning there's usually some type of activity, whether it be riding around on uh, go-karts or going golfing. There's actually part, there's a golf course outside the Indianapolis Motor Speedway track and a few of the holes are actually played inside the track, which is oh, pretty wow. cool. Yeah, so some of the guests get to do that. Uh, some of them go and do some zip lines. So there's a lot of different activities. My job basically is to spend four hours in the morning just hanging out with them, capturing that experience for them. Does a zip line go into the track as well? Uh, no, actually the zip line is, it's called Go Ape, and it's actually kind of just on the outskirts of Indianapolis. So okay. the only thing that takes place right there at the track uh, is the, the golf course. And there are some two-seater cool. rides that some of the guests get to do where Mario Andretti, who is a very, very famous uh, race car driver, drives the car and goes pretty darn fast. And, and the guest gets to sit in the back. So it's a two-seater. So it holds two people. And you get to do a lap with Mario Andretti going like close to 180, 200 miles per hour or something mm, almost. Wow. Nice. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty crazy. So my job is to capture that experience for them in, in the morning. And then and in the how, did, how did you get connected with this, Brian? Well, very good question. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and you've been doing this for a while now, too. Yeah, this, I think this is my eighth year working with Honda. Oh, yeah. If you've heard me talk about anything in, in the past, I uh, preach a lot about the importance of relationships. I, I love getting to know people, and what I love about 
this is uh, getting to come back again and again and see a lot of the regulars, which is fun. Uh, I first got connected in a nutshell. Uh, there was an event for the Indy 500 and there were a bunch of celebrity athletes that came to this event and my job was to kind of hang out with them and capture photos of them experiencing different things uh, with some like brand names, you know, um, sponsors in the background uh, in those photos. And just from doing that, I had the opportunity to meet other people and form relationships with them, which then led me to them asking if I would kind of join them for the for the race for some to capture their experience. So for the last eight years, it's been basically four days of hanging out with a lot of the Honda dealership owners and capturing their experience leading up to race day. Wow. That's, that's really cool. So uh, last four days, are there different activities that I guess are just going on into those four days? I mean, it's not all the race day stuff. Right, right. In the morning of each of those days, there's, um, four hours that I'm hired in the morning to just capture whatever they're doing. And some people do a, a tour of the track as well, uh, where you get to go through the garages. And there's a, there's a woman there who kind of gives a tour who knows all the drivers. And it's funny because you get, I mean, you get to see all these drivers walking around, which is really cool. And the drivers will come up and give this lady a hug. And she's an older woman with a, uh, she carries a, a fanny pack, which there's nothing wrong with fanny packs. She carries a fanny pack <laughs> around and she's got like one of those speakers like in her hand connected to the microphone and she nice. kind of gives her a little tour and she's just a, a sweet lady. It's really cool to see that. And then there's a, a day called carb day where the cars kind of do some tests. You know, you can go out there and watch them do their test runs and the pit crew, they do a race to see who has the fastest time for getting a car in, changing their tires and getting them out. So there's a lot of just fun, unique experiences. And that's what I love about doing event photography is basically I get to kind of hang out and, and do a lot of the fun things that, you know, these special guests get to do and I get paid for it basically. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So, so besides getting to play with at least cool people, <laughs> um, event photography, how do you do any other event photography or is this it? I do a handful of, of different types of, of events. Usually most of it is related to, because we're located here in Indianapolis and we're considered the crossroads of America, a lot of big companies like uh, you know Honda, UPS, for example, they'll come in during March Madness, they'll come to Indianapolis and there are a lot of events. And a lot of times they'll contact, there's this one major company called Accent Indy and they'll contact Accent Indy and say, hey, we need somebody to do this for us and this and this and this and this and this. Do you know somebody? And so they're like, yep, we'll take care of it all for you. And then they reach out to me and I've been working with them for years. So they're kind of my contact person mm -hmm. for it. But so then each and, of them, sorry, go ahead. And how, uh, just, just for people who maybe haven't ever done any event photography, how is it different from say like your portraits that you do or the other work that you might do? Sure. Good question. It's kind of more relaxed in a way, uh, in my opinion, compared to a wedding. A wedding tends to be a little bit stressful. You know, you, you can't mess up, but I don't, I don't mind that. I knock on wood, I haven't had any issues yet. Um, although I have shared some stories in the past about a ring that kind of went underwater for a little bit. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think you should d- d- dive into that one again. Uh, well, maybe some other time. <laughs> <laughs> Just it was on yesterday's recording. No, I know, I know it was. <laughs> but we're talking about Too events painful. right now, so um, okay. The events can be somewhat more stressful, but at the same time, it's more relaxed because there's not a whole lot of pressure. You're typically not posing a lot of people. It's more so just walking around, uh, being able to be creative with your own shots and angles. And there's maybe not as much pressure, you know, for certain things. I I find out ahead of time who are the big wigs that I need to know to make sure I'm getting pictures of. For the Indy 500, each of the nights with Honda, there is a dinner for the guest. And usually at the dinner, one to one to maybe three race car drivers that are sponsored by Honda will come and will speak, which is kind of fun. Uh, if you don't know anything about the Indy 500 cars, there's basically 33 cars and approximately half of them have a Honda motor and half of them have a Chevy motor. And uh. so that's why Honda is kind of a big deal with it. So some of the Honda drivers will come and speak to the guest at, at these events. And so there's pressure with that because you know that during this week, they're in and out. They've got sometimes five different events that they have to go to to do a, a speaking engage, engagement that they have. To me personally, uh, I've worked with a lot of these guys before to where I want to help get them out. But I also know that I'm being paid to capture pictures of them speaking to the guest. Usually when they're coming off stage, a lot of times they've got to get out and head to their next one. But a lot of the guests want to walk up and get selfies with them. So my job is to kind of capture some of those pictures to show, hey, look, these guests had this hands, hands-on experience with this driver, but I also need to help that driver get moving on, if that makes sense. That led to one of my frustrations, something furious. Hence the name, The Fast and the Furious, for this. I was doing a shot. I had a group shot of about 150 people, and it was at this crazy beautiful, well, it was at the Lucas Mansion, who they're the one that owns the Colt Stadium. They rent out their beautiful mansion, and I had to get a group shot of about 150 people with one of the race car drivers. In order to help him get going quickly, I told him ahead of time how I was going to, where I was going to have him stand and uh, had everybody basically get up there. And as they were walking up, I just snapped off a few shots really quick, you know, just to, to do like a test, basically. And everybody got up there, and I'm standing on top of this ladder, and it looked great. And I took about four or five pictures and saw them on the back of the screen, scrolled even, and saw a couple and said, okay. They looked there, took a couple more, and then I said, thank you, we've got it. Everyone kind of started to disperse. So I'm climbing down the ladder, and I walk back to my bag to switch the lenses, and I look at the back of the camera, and it's telling me that there's an error. Immediately, I started to freak out. I'm like, why is there an error? I pressed play and went to look at the last couple pictures I took, and they weren't there. So I snapped one more picture just to make sure everything was working, and it was just was a, a picture of the ground, and it recorded that. So I pressed play, I looked at the images, it showed the picture I just took of the ground, and then it just showed one of the first images that I had just snapped as people were kind of getting ready for the photo. But all the ones of the actual photo were gone. When something like that happens and you freak out, Brent, what did we say you need to do first? <laughs> You pull the card out is, is what I think we decided was the first action. There you go. Get it out of the camera. Yeah. Right. Whew. Because I, I didn't want anything else to happen because I had two hours of photos on that card. I switched cards and I knew at least there was one photo that if I had to manipulate the daylights out of it, I could. But yeah, so that was pretty frustrating. And so, yeah. you know, when that happens, 
what do you do after that when you get home? You contact Jeff Harmon and you ask him to come help and save you. <laughs> so do you remember yeah. our little our little conversation with that, Jeff? Yeah, yeah. And we tried a whole bunch of different troubleshooting things. Or I was I was asking you about how it is that you use your card and the camera to see if maybe that was uh, contributing to it. Cause there's, I did a photo taco podcast all on this actually of um, SD card or memory card hygiene. And it's just a bunch of things that uh, individually, they may not make a, a ton of difference and some of them may seem silly. Some of them sound very silly. Um, but there's, there's a certain, there's things you can do to reduce the chances of having problems with your your card, your memory card, at least. And I go through all those. So if you want to, if you're interested in that, go check out the photo taco, um, on memory card hygiene. Um, so we, we kind of troubleshot through that a little bit. And then I started to look out on, uh, just Googling for the error. And, and did you, I don't think I ever heard from you what the actual error said. Do you know what it said exactly? I, I didn't. And Brent and I were talking about that too, trying to figure it out. I, I do not know what it was you know when that happens you, you kind oh, of yeah. panic you know you don't sit there and especially think, with the event yeah right. you, you're at this I, event yeah. so yeah so i i did not and i thought for sure that was a once in a lifetime experience yeah so let me interject for a second so i took that card i put it on lock i went home plugged in the computer ran through everything and again it didn't show up but the one thing that I did notice, and I, I shared this with, with Jeff, was that the number, the file number of the photo that I did see, that I do have, and then the file number of the photo that I took just pointing at the ground, it showed that I was missing four or five photos in there, according to the numbers. So for example, mm-hmm. the first shot that I just took off or, or took as they were getting ready was like file number 199. And then the one I took of the ground was like file number 204. Therefore, there was a file 200, 201, 202, 203, but it wasn't on my card. You couldn't see it when, it when I was looking through the camera. I plugged it into the computer and didn't see it in Lightroom. I ran a, a recovery, a disk recovery, and nothing. It just, like, it wasn't there. And Jeff, you know, Jeff had said, he's like, well, then there's no way that it could have probably recorded it. There must have been a mishap through there. But I, I almost could swear that I looked at the back of my camera and flipped back a couple of photos while taking it and saw them and then snapped off, you know, a couple more. Yeah. And it's still possible that it just had a problem writing to the memory card. Cause you, you have the internal buffer inside your camera and it's got enough space in there that if you do hit play and you scroll through them, if it hasn't fully written them out to the, the memory card yet, that you could pull it from the internal memory of the camera. From the buffer, yeah. Yeah, from the buffer. So that's that is still very possible that you could have seen the photos, thought they were written there, but they hadn't made it out to the memory card yet. And in the process of the camera trying to write the photo to the memory card, that's what produced the error message. And yeah, it lost several of them. Now, the thing that doesn't make sense to me is I would think that would only happen where you lost like three or four photos. Mm -hmm. If you were shooting sports and you were doing like, you know, press and hold the shutter down and taking uh, 10 or 15 in in a couple seconds, then I could see where you could have like a whole bunch of the buffer not make it out to the memory card. 
So, yeah. but, but it doesn't make sense to me that if you take one and, and then wait a few seconds to take another, your, your buffer to memory card is not that slow to where that, that should have been really a, a massive problem. Um, so it's, it's really troublesome. <laughs> like I, I don't know what happened. I can't account for it. And we did. How fast were you taking those pictures, Brian? I, I mean, I wasn't were you, holding were you them firing down. Them off pretty fast. No, I had. Okay. I was using. Uh, this was an outside uh, shot, and they were on steps, yeah. kind of far away. So I did have. You know, it's a quick event, so I didn't have time to set up a bunch of lights. But I did have a flash. Sure. Uh, a young Newell uh, 564 flash on top of my camera that did go off. You know, so it wasn't like I could sit there and rattle them off because I right, knew that I had right. the flash. Yeah. Hmm. So I would like to say that my issues all ended right there. And so I, I did put the memory card on lock and I put it up on a shelf. And then... Yeah, especially because, you know, we, we both came to the conclusion like, well, since it hasn't happened before, um, let's just hope that it's a problem with the card. Right. Let's hope it's a memory card issue. Don't use that card anymore. Just get a new one. They're cheap enough that just, just go get a new one. It's not worth trying to... Not worth having photos get lost. And let's hope it just doesn't happen again. Right. And it was a, it was a good quality SanDisk, uh, 32 gigabyte... Right. Uh, SD card is what I what I was using and I've never had this issue and to clarify also uh, this is with my Canon 5D Mark IV and I think I was using my 24 to 70 lens at the time because yesterday Brent had asked me if maybe it was a lens issue that he was thinking yeah well some of those error codes that's one of the things right. we had looked uh, when you look at some of these websites that dictate or you know list out all these items and what the error codes mean even though there's a lot of different error codes, even these websites that claim to have all the information, they admit, you know, well, try this. If that didn't work, send it to Canon. If that didn't work, send it to Canon. So right, right. there's very little information that, you know, the common, you know, person, I guess you could say, has on what these error codes really mean. So it's mm -hmm. just like, well, you're really just, you know, shooting in the dark, it seems like, with trying to nail down exactly what the issue is. Sometimes it could be a lens, sometimes who knows whatever else i guess it's just extra frustrating and kind of crazy so it, i'm looking up the codes right now and there's one that is error zero two that means card yeah. cannot be accessed reinsert or replace card or format card with camera uh, and then there's their, their solution the recommended solution from canon is remove and insert the card again replace the card format the card which if you get that error that's the first thing I'd think of. Well, there's there's some hygiene things like I talked about I, in the Photo Taco episode. I, I go through those. I don't want to go through them on this show but or on this episode. But um, you, you, you increase your chances of running into an error like this if you don't do those things. Brian is. Right? Right. We went through all of those things, and, and he's doing good memory card hygiene. So right from here from Canon in the manual, it's saying, replace the card is kind of the the thing to do which you did mm -hmm. but then you still ran into trouble i mean i had no other issues after that for the rest of that event and i've had a couple other shoots since then and then just the other day there was a grand opening of a hotel that i was shooting for them and on part of it uh the guest had a tour of the different rooms and i just was following them around getting some shots and then it was a playful group and so I said, hey, who wants to jump on one of the beds? And immediately somebody jumped up there. I'm like, awesome. And so as they're jumping up and down on one of the beds, I rattled off a few shots again with my flash. I'm like, sweet, got some fun shots. We start walking out of that room. I get to the elevator and I look down at my camera and sure enough, there it is again, the same error. I'm like, okay, why is it doing this? I press play, I look back. And again, the last four to five photos were gone. 
just erased. That's the thing as crazy as there's four or five of them. That's right. Right. I could see where one would happen and I could attribute it to, it couldn't talk to the memory card for one, but wow, I don't know, four or five. It'd be interesting to see if it was giving you some kind of error after the one and it's just holding it in the buffer, but maybe it can only hold it right. whatever so long or something like that. I don't know. It just, it does seem weird that it's four or five it's, and it's not just a single or, or what have you. Well, I immediately thought, oh, stupid me. I used the same memory card that I shouldn't have used. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go back. I switched out and still had another two hours of shooting after that and had no issues. Huh. And again, I was using the same camera body, the same lens and the same flash. So I went home, put the pictures into my computer, and sure enough, they weren't there. And I looked next to me, and I saw the um, SD card next to me was the old one that I still had on lock. So this is a different memory card this time. So now I have two of them sitting on lock at home on a shelf. <laughs> both SanDisk. Right. All right, both SanDisk, 32 gigabytes, good ones. Never had any issues before. I've done some file recovery uh, in the past with cards and was able to get stuff off and just nothing. Like, I have no answer for this. Uh, Jeff, you had sent me a couple of links of other people in some chats saying that they've had a similar issue. Yeah, um, yeah. But, like, I don't know if I send this, my camera body in, is Canon going to be able to figure that out? You know, it's a random thing that's only happened twice. Good question. And uh, Canon's pretty renowned for their service, their customer service, and, and for being able to look in and figure out when things are ready. At this point, I would suspect there's something amiss with the SD card slot in the camera. Right. And that there's there's a problem. It's intermittent, so maybe it's like a short some wire somewhere. Uh, like if you hold the camera just the right way, <laughs> it's going to have a problem, yeah. something like that. Um, rather than the likelihood that you're going to have two SanDisk SD cards have a problem, uh, is, is low. That just doesn't seem right. Any chance your battery was getting low? No, no. I always shoot with, uh, uh my battery grip with two batteries in there and okay. no, not even, wasn't even close to low. So, and then I, do you have a CF card that you could test out and shoot for a while? I do. I have one. I, I haven't done that, but yes, I could do that, I guess. You know what? Let's just pause for a second because we spent a lot of time <laughs> looking online, trying to learn and, and figure out what my problem was. I just want to take a second and pause to thank our sponsor for this episode. The Master Photography Podcast is brought to you by Udemy, the largest marketplace for online learning. Whether you want to learn something new or just sharpen your skills, Udemy has an extensive library of over 65,000 courses taught by expert instructors. Ever find yourself thinking, I wish I could do that? With Udemy, you can. From web development to digital marketing, marketing to Japanese cooking courses, Udemy has something for everyone. While other online learning companies charge hundreds of dollars per class, Udemy courses start at just $11.99. Plus, each course comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee for risk-free learning. Every day, students around the world choose Udemy to discover new passions, expand their skills, and even change careers. Improve your life through learning. Download the Udemy app to learn anytime, anywhere, or visit www.ude.my slash improve today. That's www.ude.my slash improve. I've spent tons of time looking online trying to figure out this problem. And I guess, guys, I guess I just do need to surrender and just send my camera in. 
Yeah, I think that's the best course of action now. And, and even if you try to contact them, but the like I've heard a lot of people, a lot of listeners have told me that Canon, when they send it in, they do a, a spectacular job with their camera. But when they call and try to troubleshoot over the phone with somebody, that that doesn't go very well usually. Mm-hmm. Um, even had like lots of misinformation provided to them. So um, I don't know. I, it, it may vary and depend on it. Everyone's experience might be a little different there. Sometimes maybe they're good. But sending them in, I've had a very, I've heard very consistent experiences where they've done a good job with it. Especially if you can tell them, you know, what the issue is that you've had. Uh, photos lost and you suspect that the SD card is having trouble, they'll be able to look at it and probably be able to either swap it out or figure out what was wrong or uh, test it probably in in a way. I'm sure they've got ways to test these kinds of things. So what should I expect as far as uh, a time frame of things? So if I, what's today? Well, if I send in, let's say I send in today, should I expect to possibly have it back within a week or does it all depend? Is it going to be multiple weeks? I would think it'd take a little longer than a week if you're not a member of their CPS program. Right. And they have three different me- levels of membership. And uh, when you're the uh, platinum, like I am, uh, you get FedEx labels provided for you and you get 20 or 30% off the service and the parts and all sorts of good perks. But it costs you like 300 a year or something like that. So, uh, you get super quick service when you are a member of CPS, and when you're not, I don't have experience with them when you're not, so I, I don't know about that part. And CPS, Brent, is that all it is, just sign up and pay the fee? <clears throat> yeah, basically. You, there are certain levels or amounts of gear that you have to own before oh, you right. can get to the certain level. So Brian you know, may own enough gear to be on their gold level, and then that would get you two-day service instead of one-day service. And then I think they make you... I have to look it up, but I think they make you ship it to them, but then they'll include the shipping returning back or something like that. I, I could be wrong in that, but just look up Canon CPS on your favorite search engine and it'll take you right there. So, is- And then there's three uh, service places throughout the U.S., um, California, Virginia, and somewhere in New England. I can't remember exactly where. So is this something worth you- me joining before I officially send it in, do you think, or not so much? Um. It kind of depends on what you think you're going to use it. You know, they'll they'll do you know free maintenance as far as cleaning and whatever else. Yeah, it just it just depends on how often you think you're going to use it. Yeah, I th- I just think my concern is I don't have time to not have a camera with me. You know, and and right. I do have I have a 7D Mark II as well, which I use and and could possibly do, but. I just, I'm a strong believer that if you're a professional business, you don't show up somewhere with just one camera body in case something happens. If you have anything in the next two, week or two, you know, that's where I would probably get nervous for you and maybe you could rent something until you're, until you get that camera back. Or maybe you could call them and ask, say, you know, what's, what's what should I expect for the turnaround time? Mm-hmm. I have heard horror stories about it. <laughs> I've, yeah. I've said that, you know, for the most part, the experiences have been very, very good. So especially if you're CPS, that seems to clear all paths and <laughs> not be a problem. They make sure to take care of you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So outside of CPS, I have heard some horror stories of like, 
they don't even know where the camera's at. It it was like, uh, what's going on? I don't even know where your camera is. And mm. and it took him a long time to get it. So That would be terrible. Yeah. <laughs> to clarify for, for listeners, CPS stands for Canon Professional Services, not Child Protection Services. <laughs> um, true. <laughs> Although it may feel like your baby. Right. That's, That's true. That's right. That is true. Speaking of babies, uh, let's talk about something that could be positive here. Um, Canon's kind of having a... a a new baby with their 70 to 202.8. What a segue. Thanks. <laughs> That's awesome. Brent, what do you know? You know a little bit about it. Yeah, just really that, number one, they've released it, or they've announced it, I should say. It'll ship soon. It's their version 3. They also released it or announced at the same time, the 70 to 200 version F4, uh, version 2, sorry, uh, on that one. And that the version 1 on the F4 model has been pretty old. I forget exactly how old, but it's been out for quite a while. So they're just refreshing their 70 to 200s. You know, kind of seems to me they have a two-pronged approach for this or reasons for doing it now. And that is uh, we probably are going to see some higher megapixel cameras. And so we just need to pull out a little more resolution. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, and one thing I'm a little bit confused, if I can put it in that term, as to why we feel we need another lens. Because that version 2, you know, you look at MTF charts and analyze the lens yourself and look at what other people say. That lens is so sharp already and so beautifully, everything is just perfect in that lens, it seems, about as perfect as you can get in a zoom lens. And then here they come out with version three. And uh, part of me thinks, too, it might be a little bit of a marketing issue with regards to the fantastic stuff that Canon, or excuse me, Tamron has been putting out. And they just put out a, a new uh, 70 to 200 somewhat recently. And so, you know, it might just be something like that to. to do a small refresh or just to get it because there's all those people out there that just want the latest one. So to get it sure, 2,500 or whatever it is on the, on the lens. Well, again. that's the, that's the other thing that is really pleasing to me. It's actually only $2,099. It's not 2,500 like Nikon's is. So you, you look at that and while it's still going to be more expensive than Tamron or Tokina or whomever, that's still for the, the, name brand of Canon, that's still a really decent price because the version two was about 2,500 when it mm-hmm. was first released. And it stayed at that level for quite a while. The one I have uh, in my inventory, uh, I believe I paid maybe 24, 23, somewhere in there. It, you know, it had been out for a couple of years by the time I got around to, to owning one. But yeah, it was, uh, it was very pleasant. I was pleasantly surprised to see that 2,099 price tag. It's good, good to have competition. <laughs> For sure, that definitely helps, doesn't it? Yeah. Because <laughs> now, Jeff, is you own that seventy to two hundred by Tamron. Tamron, or was it? Oh some, yes, the G two. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, everyone I've heard that shoots it, they just love it, and they're just like, you know, why would I spend the extra right three or five hundred, whatever it is, for the Canon model? And that's a hard argument to yeah. make. So I think it's good that Tamron and others are doing uh, good quality lenses like that, and helps. Uh, enhance that competition for sure. Yeah, I love how both Tamron and Sigma are really providing some serious competition. Oh yeah. So that it's going to make it's going to be better for all of us. That that makes all of us win. All of us as consumers of the, that equipment uh, brings down the prices, brings up the quality. It's awesome. Absolutely. So Jeff, if somebody had in their hands for you the Tamron 2.8 or the Canon 2.8, and they said you get whichever one you want for free, which would you choose? Oh, I'd take the Canon for sure. Okay. <laughs> of course. <laughs> for sure. So, um, but for you, that for sure isn't worth $500? It, it was more like 1000 when I was looking at it. Oh, is that so, what it was? Yeah. 
Yeah. So for my hobbyist dollars, absolutely. There was no question that gets, oh, yeah. you know, it's like 95, maybe some would, some were arguing that it was, it maybe even had a little better quality cause it could resolve higher megapixels than the Canon lens could. So it's, cause it's long in the tooth now. And, um, so they would take it over the Canon, uh, because of that. And if, if you're using it on a higher megapixel modern camera, then there was an argument that even the Tamron held or the, or the Sigma, either one were a better option than, than the Canon was. Although we're splitting hairs when we're talking about that. It's really not a whole lot of difference. And, um, so I, I would love to have it just, I, I don't know. I, I'm sure me, I could not tell the difference between the two. If I was taking photos, I wish I was a good enough photographer where that like made the, all the difference in the world, but, but I'm not, yeah. I'm not even close to that. So the, the equipment, if I can get really close to the same for a lot less money, that's going to be the option I'm going to choose. And you know, one thing I just was thinking of now, actually, um, if I were to look at our fuzzy crystal ball, if we want to call it that, in what Canon is probably going to do in the mirrorless space. There's been a lot of rumors and talking about what they're going to do as far as uh, maybe a new lens mount or something like that. It kind of seems like to me, unless they've really reformulated that lens, which I'm not hearing anything about a, a vast reformulation of how it, it creates its image circle and whatever else, it kind of makes me think, you know, if they're going to release a, a lens like this right now, every, a lot of folks that you would ask or talk to, they're saying, you know, the mirrorless will be out by the end of this year or the beginning of 2019. You know, why would they release this kind of lens now uh, if they were going to switch lens mounts? Right. So whatever mirrorless they do, I would be surprised at this point now if they were to switch and, and create a, an entirely new lens mount uh, at least without some kind of very solid and serious adapter that would allow you to um, take all the EF lenses anyway and have it feel like it was, you know, regular on the camera. Because one thing I wouldn't want Canon to do is to make a lens, uh, an, an adapter for their mirrorless full frame that feels like the EOS M adapter, because that's just a, a big piece that goes between the tiny little camera and the big honking mm. lens, and that would just <laughs> feel odd if they went that route with their full-frame mirrorless. I'm, so. I'm sticking with my prediction that I had at the end of the year last year that they're not going to have... They are going to go out with the, the mirrorless, and it's going to be a different lens type native. You still think it's going to be a... Uh-huh, sure. A different native lens type, and they're going to have the adapter. Okay. Yeah, it that part still makes sense too, but it's just... This is, you know, one of those lenses that everyone's going to buy uh, well, it, or that wants to buy. The, the biggest reason I, I think it's going to go that way is just what you talked about, having that. The biggest push towards mirrorless, there, there's some other things that are appealing to it that I'd really like to have, but the biggest one is the size factor. And yeah. so to have this massive 70 to 200 lens <laughs> that weighs like 10 pounds on the end of your yeah. little mirrorless camera, that didn't save yeah. you anything. That's, it's still right. bad. So I think they're going to they're gonna go after that as a size savings, weight savings. We have a new lens lineup. It's every bit as good quality, but you do have to buy new mm. lenses because of a different mount. Mm. All right. I'm not looking forward to <laughs> well, that. Well, hopefully we'll be able to see soon. I, I'm <laughs> yeah. excited to see what Canon's going to do with that because... I've been really tempted recently to switch to Fuji, and we'll we'll see how it all shakes out. But we'll yeah we'll see. When I was at the race, uh, basically on the actual race day, I'm able to go onto the track before the race starts with hundreds of other people as well. 
Uh, but that's always awesome because I can get some shots with a wide angle, you know, my 16 to 35 or my 2470 to um, get right up there at the cars where literally I could touch it. And some people actually do. Some people will sit down and kind of squat next to it and put their arm on the tire to get a, a selfie or a photo taken, which blows me away about that sport because yeah. I, I'm sitting there <laughs> thinking somebody could just mess with one of these cars and nobody would know. Literally, because oh, right. they don't they don't watch over these things like with Hawkeyes. They're just you know there's so many people crowded around and it's just crazy. And I'm sure maybe they do, but you can't tell because I've sat there uh-huh. and looked and thought, who's watching right now? Who's letting this person sit on this tire? You know, when you're about to be going 200 something miles per hour. Mm-hmm. But during the and even if they just had a button in their you know on the jeans pocket or something that might cause a little scuff. That could at two hundred some miles an hour. That could you would think maybe slash your tire and make it go crazy. Oh, right, right. Well, the so the Indy five hundred is, uh, I guess, when I mean, it's racing in general, is just so unique. Uh, a handful of years back, and I've shared this before, so I'll just do a quick recap. Uh, my job was to photograph the celebrities and athletes getting into the pace cars, which would lead on the first lap, and then they pull over, and then the other cars just take off. So. I'm standing there on the track and they're kind of clearing everybody off to the side, but I like to linger, you know, to kind of get some shots of other people that other people don't. And then next thing I know, the pace cars start to slowly go. So everyone else is off the track except for like me and 20 other people. And they have us scoot up basically against the fence. So we're kind of pinned against the fence. I looked down next to me and like one of them was Jerry Rice, who was a football player for the 49ers for a while. And then there was a lady who I know she was kind of a big wig there. But there's about 20 of us standing there against the fence and the pace cars go. And then all of a sudden, Mara Andretti was in a lead car, which was kind of the official pace car, I guess. And so he peels off and takes off. So I'm thinking, okay, we've got to go because we need to get across before these cars come. And the next thing you know, the first row takes off and they start going. And then the second row and the third row. So I pull out my phone and I'm just recording all of this with my camera and, or my camera phone. And these cars are coming right by me and I'm like shaking like crazy. I mean, it's a huge adrenaline rush. And I'm sitting there thinking, if I were to drop my phone right now, it would bounce and hit one of the cars going by. And it just blew me away that I was mm-hmm. able to be there for that. Wow. Ever since then, I've always watched, and I've never seen anybody else down there other than uh, there were there was one time where there were like a few pit crew people uh, over there against the side, but it just blew me away. So a great experience, and that's one of the fun things about shooting events is you sometimes get opportunities like that. During the race, uh, I get to hang out kind of in a suite, which is a nice air-conditioned area with free food. And um, again, and I've been with these people for eight years now, so it's more like hanging out with friends. But during the race, we can also go up and on top of the suite, there are some bleachers and everyone will sit up there and I'll get photos of the group up there and all. But then from that view, I'm probably about 100, 150 yards away from the actual track because I'm kind of above it, shooting down on it. So I was sitting there with my 70 to 200 Imagine me, you know, holding it, looking to the right, and all of a sudden quickly panning to the left as the cars would come by. And I had multiple times people came up to me this year and said, oh, are you trying to freeze the car? Are you able to freeze it? Are you trying to freeze it? I'm thinking, freezing the car is easy. You know, with the shirt. I mean, that's not the challenging part. And I told them, like, no. I said, that's not hard. I'm like, I'm trying to capture the car where the car is sharp, but to show movement. 
you know? Right, right. And, right. and they're just, obviously, they weren't photographers because they didn't know what I was talking about. But I got a, a couple of good ones. I was trying to get some for Scott Dixon. And if you go to my Instagram, which is just at Brian McGuckin, you can see some on there. And I've got a, a, a decent one that shows some blur. But Scott Dixon was the driver that was um, almost killed last year. And there was a photographer that caught... Uh, caught his accident like got pictures of his accident and the photographer was also hit by some debris and was taken to the hospital so event photography you know it, it can be intense yeah and so important to really understand how to use your camera really well because you're you're changing things constantly aren't you yeah well and especially too i only shoot manual mode so i don't shoot like when aperture priority or anything like that so you know if clouds come out or if clouds go away yeah. all of a sudden it's real bright you know and dealing with cars flying by over 200 miles per hour yeah so there's just there's just a lot to it but i enjoy that challenge of it and you also got a chance to photograph aaron Rodgers kissing danica patrick uh i'm not a fan i'm of, just on your instagram yeah. feed right now so yeah i'm not a big fan of aaron Rodgers. i'm a beers fan so uh <laughs> yes and all the way and clearly i've i've been around him a, a few different times and i've been tempted actually the first nfl game that i shot was it was aaron Rodgers for the packers against Brett Favre when he was a quarterback for the, uh, for the Vikings. So that was my very first NFL game, and I grew up, and I'm a huge football fan, and I love my Chicago Bears, even though they're not always good. And so to photograph <laughs> that game was huge, but I so badly wanted to like have my camera accidentally smack him or something. <laughs> but yeah, so I, uh, that was before the race. Uh, Danica Patrick is a female driver, and this was her last race, and she's dating Aaron Rodgers, so... I was shooting some pictures of Scott Dixon um, for his family, and I turn around, and all of a sudden, right there's uh, Danica Patrick and Aaron Rodgers, and then they did the uh, Star Spangled Banner, and then some cool airplanes fly over, and then we turn around, and Aaron Rodgers was giving her a kiss goodbye, you know, saying good luck and separating, and so I got a, a pretty decent photo uh, of that that you can see on my Instagram as well, if you're interested. But yeah, it's event photography, I think it's just, it's fun. But mm -hmm. again, it can be frustrating and make you very furious when things go wrong. And so I guess that's where, uh, where we start to wrap things up, just knowing that I've got a problem that I need to somehow fix on my camera. And I'm looking forward to updating people with hopefully positive news. Yes, that'd be good. Any last thoughts that you guys would like to share with us at all? Well, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the uh, the independent feeds. I know Jeff, your feed is back up uh, for Photo Taco, and the other one for uh, Portrait Session, Konica and Erica, they have theirs running. And so, encourage listeners to find the independent feeds. At some point in time in the future, we're going to be splitting off, you know, those independent items and not have them on this feed, along with you know where it releases on Mondays. Uh, but we'll still have a few of them coming through on Mondays from time to time. And then I've got a gear giveaway and also a copy of Lumenzia and then some Skype sessions uh, for subscribing to my feed. You can look up the website, latitudephotographypodcast.com for all the details. And then just a quick shout out, uh, about ready to run out of time on signing up for the Croatia workshop I got going on. And so people can find that at my other website. Well, just go to the Latitude one and click on the workshops link. It'll take you there. Great. And I have a contest running on for Photo Taco as well for a 30-minute Skype session um, I'll edit photos of the winner. Whoever wins can send me some photos, and I'll, I, I'm going to walk through how I would post-process them. 
And uh, cool. so then go to photo taco podcast.com slash contest to see how to win. Awesome. Yeah, we had actually I, I we had mentioned that on our our first recording of this episode yesterday because yeah. uh, I yeah. had heard you uh, talk about that, Jeff, on your photo taco. Did you already do one? No. No. Okay. Nope. So they can, they can enter. Uh, you, you'll get the details on how you can do that. It's a screenshot saying you subscribe. But through um, July 6th. 11 p.m. on July 6th, and then I will be picking the winner randomly, and I will announce it on the Photo Taco episode right after that on, uh, uh, right after July 6th, on July 9th episode. Awesome. So on mine, it's over uh, very soon, this Sunday, the 17th of June, uh, 11 something p.m. I have it on the website there, uh, Pacific Standard Time, so uh, mine is ending here pretty quick, so uh, I've got a an exposure 15 bag from Mindshift Gear and the uh, Urban Disguise 40 from Think Tank Photo. So thank you to the company for providing those bags for this giveaway. And then thank you to Greg Benz as well for Lubenzia copy. And um, I guess I can thank myself for the other items, the, the <laughs> Skype sessions and there's a gift card for my rental, rental company. Yeah, I feel like we're kind of like Oprah here with, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. <laughs> That's right. That's Lots right. of great things happening here in the uh, Master Photography Podcast Network. Uh, my podcast with Thoughts on Photography, I'm just going to, before I relaunch it here, I'm going to uh, spend this summer kind of working on getting some interviews and some things saved up. Uh, just so that way there'll be a good strong launch, which I believe will happen probably the end of July to the to the beginning of August. Brent and Jeff, thank you very much for uh, helping in this recording. And thanks everyone for listening. And we will see you again in seven days. <laughs>